This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Can everybody hear? So, how many people here are here for the first time? Second time? (laughs) Welcome. And how many people have been here a couple times but are fairly new? Welcome back. And I assume the rest of you are all old hats. (laughs) You don't have to say old. (laughs) Experienced hats. (laughs) I won't say well-worn either. (laughs) Um, Today is the... Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was um, I, today. I want to talk about um, one of the foundational teachings in Buddhism about the what what the the wheel of uh, in the wheel of life, in the wheel of samsara, the wheel of our this suffering life that we have, full of you know joys and. Uh, difficulties and delights, things to get delighted about, but it's a tur- the wheel is turning, right? And what propels that turning in the center, if you've seen the uh, Mara holding the wheel of life, in the very center, there's three creatures that are kind of uh, like an Ouroboros. They're holding on to each other. Mm-hmm. And the three creatures are Pig, snake, snake, snake rooster. rooster. And what do they represent? Delusion. The greed is what? Pig. No. The rooster. The pig is delusion or ignorance. Delusion or ignorance. And the snake? Hatred. Version hatred. Right. Poor snake. The snake always gets to be like the. I like snakes. Anyway, I want to talk about these three poisons, but before that, I just wanted to mark this date because I believe that it was either this date or a date very close to this date, uh, 11 years ago, that Tassajara Zen Mountain Center had a fire roll through. And uh, that was exciting. But fire, and actually I was thinking about it because thinking about fire, and thinking about what kind of elements are associated with these three poisons. Fire is associated with which poison? Anger, right? We all, we all know that feeling, right? So anyway, I just wanted to mark that, that this has been that long since the big forest fire. There have been many big forest fires since then and there will undoubtedly be many more to come. Now, another, uh, something else that sort of the, where this talk is coming from is just thinking about our world right now. When you think about our world right now, the divisiveness, the uh, isolation, 
lack of seeing clearly or lack of communicating clearly, right? The world seems like it's a flame, right? And what is it that propels that? It's greed, hate, and delusion, right? This churning that exists in each of us, right? This churning and collectively in the entire, across the entire planet. So just, that's where this talk is coming from. It's coming from this feeling of seeing, sometimes with complete disbelief and horror, what's happening in our world, this wonderful world that we, uh, we share, we enjoy, we try to take care of, right? And feeling like something is completely awry. How many of you feel that way? <laughs> now, I also I, I understand that this community is largely a very liberal community. I think that's true. I'm not sure because we don't really talk so much about political affiliations here. Um, but I wanted to just name it that despite being a mostly, I mean, would you agree this is a mostly liberal community? I'm seeing some like, well, yeah. <laughs> now, at the same time, I feel really compelled to say that we are very clear about everyone being welcome here. Right? And I think we're all behind that. Right? We're, we're you know, people are nodding vigorously. We are behind an, uh, a, a community of inclusion. And that, inc and that includes everyone, right? It includes people from many different backgrounds, different viewpoints. Viewpoints that maybe are really unpleasant for you, know, for you as an individual. But there's a commitment to inclusion in what sense, like what, in what sense does inclusion work? You don't exclude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, when you don't exclude. What does it look like to exclude? It can be subtle. You don't even realize it. Mm. Yeah. You might talk about things like your viewpoint a little too much. You might talk about your viewpoint your a little viewpoint. too much. Or you might talk about your viewpoint as if it were the only right one. <laughs> yes. Yeah? Now, what's the danger of inclusion? Including people who might want to exclude others. Including people who might want to exclude others. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like, rubs, you know, it just doesn't, that may not work so well. Right. So, but do we then exclude those people who want to exclude others? No. No. <laughs> so what happens, what do we, what do, we do with the, um, with this in our, like practically speaking, in a community like this? Just maintain open communication. Maintain open communication. Anything else? What tools do we have here in our practice? To be open. Openness. Mm -hmm. Mindful. Mindfulness, being aware. Compassion. Compassion, Listen. listening. Curiosity. Curiosity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a big one. Mm -hmm. 
What? Not knowing. Not knowing. Yeah. Saving all beings. Saving all beings. Mm -hmm. Another way of inclusion. Mm -hmm. Not holding to fixed ideas. Not holding to fixed ideas. Humility. 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 Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you say something? No, I was just saying he said. <laughs> what did you say? Acceptance like, of where people are. Yeah, you got to start where you are. Right. Now, in practice, how does this come about? <laughs> oh. How do we do this in practice? How would, how would we like to do this in practice, ideally? Through meditation? Mm -hmm. As Dave pointed out this morning in his um, announcement, he said oftentimes, you know, people like this, the Austin Zen Center, like many Zen centers, is a place where people come to find peace and quiet, to find refuge, to be mm -hmm. silent and still. And oftentimes we don't get to interact as much because we're here in silence. How many people have been here for a long time and it took them a long time before you actually talked to anybody? <laughs> a lot of hands, yeah. My first time at the San Francisco Zen Center, I didn't, I was like, I just wanted to go sit. I was there for, I don't know how long, a year before I talked to people. I volunteered there, but I volunteered when it was closed in the library when I was alone. <laughs> and I'm an extrovert, so it was very, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know about this place. Right, so it took a long time of practicing silently um, before making that foray into having a conversation with someone. And oftentimes you'll find that when you have a conversation with someone, especially if it's beyond the, um, I like to talk about like beyond tea and cookies conversations, <laughs> conversations that have some depth to them, right, that touch upon what we're here for, right, which is what really matters to us, which is waking up to our life. When you talk with one another, sometimes it's revealed that people have differing opinions. <laughs> and then what happens, in, right in that moment when you feel something, what do you feel? So it starts with a feeling. Galen last week was talking about this. I, this, this talk is kind of a, a follow-up maybe, inspired by her talk. Mm. How do you know when there's something, there's a... Uh, aversion? Aversion. You can, how do you know when there's aversion? Yeah, that's a good Tightening. question. Tightening? Feel it. Yeah. yeah. You feel it in the body. How do you know when there's greed or desire? Hmm. Also body. It's also in the body, but yeah. does it feel like tightening? Just restriction? Mm -hmm. Constriction? No. If the pulse quickens a little bit. Maybe the pulse quickens? Yeah. Like, there's a little bit of a surge instead. There's energy, yeah. right? There's energy to go towards. <laughs> Maybe your hands get itchy. <laughs> Sorry? Grasping. Grasping, yes. There's some graspy energy. And what about, uh, what, what's delusion in this? What's ignorance? That's the hardest one to see, isn't it? <laughs> How do you know that you don't know? <laughs> Right, it's the hardest one. But it's also the ground. It's the ground for the others. Right? You can't have greed and hate without delusion, actually. 
But how do you experience delusion? What does delusion look like in a felt experience? Fuzziness. Fuzziness, yeah. Torpor, sleep, sleepiness. Are you talking about when we witness it, or when? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm talking about in, in one's own experience. Sometimes dissonance. Say like, more. In yeah, sometimes, like there's something that's not clear. You can't tell what it is. There's something you can't see clearly. Something is wrong. You can't see what it is. How is this different from what Tim brought up as a? part of our practice that's beneficial or helpful, which is not knowing. Mm. What's the difference between not knowing and delusion? You made a decision without knowing. Uh, like you formed an opinion, even though you don't know. So delusion is forming something, maybe. Yeah. So that's a little bit different mm. from the fuzziness. Yeah. I think the not knowing is acknowledging that you don't know. Yes. And being okay with not knowing as much as you might like. There's a clarity. Yeah, there's a clarity of not knowing. Yeah, it's almost paradoxical. When you're deluded, you, you're more confident or more certain. Yes. Sentient beings don't necessarily notice that they're deluded. And there's a difference between equanimity and apathy. Yes, there's, these are very, a lot, I and mean, we see this all over the place, right? In Buddhism, in our lives, we see that there is a fine line that, you know, you can fall a little bit this way and you sunken into the weeds over that side and this way you're over here but they can be very close so like um, what was the word you used? to uh, the near enemy of equanimity apathy apathy mm. right it can be, it's called the near enemy it's very close it can disguise it's easily disguised as equanimity but it's actually apathy did you have a well it's very similar it seems that the, in a state of not knowing I still make have a feeling of connection, whereas in delusion, ah. it's a disconnection. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And that is definitely one very strong felt sense, the sense of connection, which I think is very uh, aligned with curiosity. Right? When there's no curiosity, that's a, that's a red flag if there's no <laughs> curiosity. Right? It's just like, yeah, I've got you. You are, you know, you are evil, you are stupid, you are, you know, you put people, can be put people into boxes. Right, and there's that cuts connection like nothing else. Right. So, in ignorance, the ego is what you might call the ego is forward. So either you might think you're great or think you're horrible. Uh-huh. You know, there's those, but and that's, that's another way of saying that separation too. Yes. Right. Right. You've you've labeled and are sticking to that label. There's some kind of a, a form of identification that happens. It's, it's also, I mean, my experience is it's also a tightness and a shellingness. It's like, you know, you know. With delusion? I mean, yeah, or, because it could be like, I'm afraid, or I think you're a rat, or, you know, it's like, but it's very hard, you know? It's and, a hardening. And, it's, mm-hmm. and it is separate, yeah, but it's it's not open. I can tell a difference in my body about open and comfortable versus you know? Right. And usually the uh, is some form of delusion in my head interpreting reality. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it's a body feel. Right? It's a body feeling. Yeah. Yes, Rob. So I'm reminded of the term Alan Greenspan used, irrational exuberance. <laughs> Sometimes we think, we think uh, everything's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and this exuberance can 
manifest in all three poisons, right? The exuberance, I mean, we see it often in greed. Greed can be a big exuberance, right? You feel this energy, you want this thing, you're, you're turned towards getting it, grasping. With anger, what's the exuberance in anger? Self-righteousness? Did you say? Oh, I just said rage. Rage. Yeah, there's a lot, of, there can be a lot of energy and exuberance, right? And if you think you're exuberantly angry, uh, or you think of yourself as being uh, righteously angered, what's more exuberant than that? <laughs> That's pretty exuberant. I read this article yesterday on it was about Facebook and Fox News and how Fox News is like the largest group on Facebook, English-speaking group on Facebook, and it has the, like the number of emojis that are the little angry face. And I was like, oh, that, yeah, I can, you know, just that little emoticon, like, wow, it's hard. So these three poisons, are they something to, what do we do with them? Do we get rid of them? How do we get rid of them? Meet them. Study them. Study them. Meet them. People are. Yes. You don't. You don't. (laughs) You don't get rid of them. So we stuck with you know when greed, hate, and delusion. It's just like oh, I'm just gonna let myself be along for the ride. Like this is just who I am. It's just me being me when I'm angry and yelling. (laughs) Is that what we do? No, we meet it. We meet it. What does it mean to meet it? You can go back to the Four Noble Truths, right? That's one way to uh, to meet it. What does that lead to? It boils it down to something very, very concrete, which is suffering. Yeah. Right? Just suffering. Now, in your body, you know the difference between suffering and uh, non-suffering. Mm, right? Most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> now, in the moment, in the present moment, if you were to look, you can tell where there's dis-ease in the body. Right? And that's kind of a, a, like a trailhead. It's like, what is that? Again, applying curiosity. Right? So if the three poisons are not something to get rid of, but there's something to meet, something to Experience, sit with, inquire, to see, inquire, see. What happens when we don't push them away, but we also don't act on them? So there's a component here that I didn't hear, which is not, which, which is refraining. Mm. Just simple refraining, mm. right? Which you know you can, you're, you know, you're. Parents probably maybe taught you like count to ten. <laughs> right? There's some pause that can happen. Right? Now, if they're not things to get rid of, and um, do we not get rid of them just because we can't? They turn into something else. Ooh, they turn into something else. Do they do that spontaneously? <laughs> <laughs> 
Sometimes. <laughs> when does that happen? <laughs> they could, they could. Right? They can turn to something else. You've all had the experience, right, where you've had something like maybe, let's say, anger. Anger's a really uh, obvious one to work with. Where you have something like anger, and when you are able to meet it, which could look like being able to sit with it, being curious about it, inquiring about it, what else is included in meeting it? Meeting it anger. It it's like, Sorry. Ask it what it wants. You could ask it what it wants. Have compassion for it. Have compassion for it. Dave? That's what I mean. Kindness and compassion. For Kindness self. and compassion for self. The self that is feeling rage or anger. Right? So far I'm only talking about ourselves. Within. So, as I was mentioning, in terms of these kind of elements, that, so ignorance being like the ground, like the earth, in the sense that it provides the ground for all of the other hindrances, and there are many. We talk about greed, hate, and delusion. Those are the three poisons. Those are root hindrances, root clashes, or defilements. You know, in Western psychological terms, you can call them, uh, what? Emotions. Afflictive emotions. Yeah, it's a good one. Neurotic behavior. <laughs> uh, excuse me? Complexes. Complexes, right? In Buddhism, we call them hindrances, defilements, obscurations, uh, kleshas. Right? So, ignorance being the ground of all of the other kleshas, ignorance in a particular way, though. It's not just the ignorance of, like, oh, I just didn't know what time it was. Right? Ignorance in a very specific sense, the avidya ignorance, the first of the twelve-fold chain, refers to what specific kind of ignorance? Ignorance in a self, about a self, that the self, that there's a me that is sustained over time, that is actually separate from all of you. So, happy Interdependence Day. <laughs> it is Independence Day. It's like, no, no, not independent. Interdependent. So that, that fundamental affliction of ignorance is the ignorance that we are separate selves. Now, conventionally speaking, we are separate. Okay, so we don't want to just throw that out and say, oh no, we're actually all one. It's not all one. We know that from our experience. However, it's not two either. It's not separate either. So what is it? Right? When we start working with ignorance, the fundamental ground of ignorance is just this feeling of um, an existence that's not connected, not completely interdependent with all other things that appear. Right? In terms of the ignorance of the greed, hate, and delusion, the delusion there, it's a different word. It's not a vidya, it's moha. And it can be translated as confusion or foolishness, um, benightedness. <laughs> um, it's, it's somewhat synonymous with the vidya of ignorance, but it's, um, it's more this confused state about reality, about what's true, namely this interdependence. 
Attachment is like what? If we're going to give it a uh, an element. Hmm? No, no, I mean, uh, uh, like, if, if ignorance is like earth, then we already, we already know what anger is, right? Fire. Fire, right? What about greed? Hmm. Water. Yeah. It's like water. Water, because greed can, uh, can arise in any situation. It kind of, it's fluid. It, it fills every space. It can fill our, the space. Um, it's both, greed has a positive aspect, right? There's an element of greed that can be positive, right? Mm. What's that look like? Yeah, right? Bodhicitta, the desire to wake up. Mm. Right? <laughs> 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 desire, to, desire to wake up, the, um, the desire to give, mm. to be of benefit. And then what about anger? Anger being uh, the element of fire. Fire is, it burns everything, right? Anger can burn you, it can burn every, other people, it can burn you know, the whole world. It can be uh, melting, mm. roiling in anger. And so it's incredibly destructive. Which is sometimes necessary. Destruction. Yeah, I mean, I think anger can be used as a kind of tool for transformation, right? There is a certain sort of anger when directed Yeah, so what does that look like? It can be a call to action. It can be a call to action, right? What does a wholesome anger look like? Injustice. Sorry, Jerry? Injustice. A wholesome kind of anger? An anger about injustice. Activism. Mm -hmm. To protect someone else who's who's suffering. Right. Yeah. Oh, I just said activity. Activity? Destruction of your own and unwholesome states. Ah, yes. Now, mm. let's bring in that sword of Manjushri, right? Mm. This is, this is a, uh, a particular kind of energetic practice, is to bring in the anger at the defilements themselves, right? And stepping back, looking at all of these poisons... <clears throat> We've been talking about them as they appear in ourselves. Now, as they appear in the, you know, as they appear in ourselves, we can apply the, uh, the inward light and shine this inward light, right? See them, and that's actually the first step. What's the first thing you find out when you start sitting in meditation? When you try to not think of thinking, and you're looking at, you know, you're kind of gazing softly at the wall, and you're stuck there because the dawn hasn't rang the bell. What, what's the first thing you might notice when you start sitting? You're more of an angry person than you think you are. You may be more of an angry person than you think. You may be more greedy than you think. Okay. Like, what do you, you notice that we have afflictions? 
That's the first step, because if you don't notice that you have them, how are you even going to remotely be able to work with them? So, and maybe this is what a, a form of acceptance, right? To accept this is where we are. This is where we, what we have to start with, right? One thing about anger that, uh, is that it can happen so fast, right? It's considered the most destructive of the three poisons because it can do the most damage. And oftentimes, in a, a moment, a flash of anger can destroy uh, wholesome seeds that have been cultivated for a long, long time. One moment of anger can destroy it. However, anger also uh, has a tendency to flare up and die down quickly. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, if you can get past that one moment where you might, have, you might act, you're past the, the worst of it, and it, can, it goes away. Whereas greed might stick around for a long mm -hmm. time. Anger comes up and then goes away. So working with anger has a different uh, strategy maybe than working with greed. Yes, Jess. Um, if wholesome seed can be struck down with anger in one moment, how wholesome is that seed? Really? Oh. Oh. <laughs> how wholesome is that seed? Well, let's see. Give me an example of a wholesome seed. Like a wholesome seed, like you have a loving relationship with someone, mm -hmm. and you get into a fight, and all of a sudden they bring up all this stuff <laughs> <laughs> that they've been holding in forever, like a martyr. <laughs> wow. For Yeah, that's a good question. That could be if there's if that moment of anger brings up all these other threads, yeah. then it's like, wait a minute, this the threads that created this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were pretending these seeds were wholesome, but actually, mm -hmm. you know. And maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe seeds that we plant that we think are wholesome. What what determines whether a seed is wholesome? Well, the kind of fruit it bears. The kind of fruit it bears, yeah. The intention. Mm. Maybe the intention, right? What are wholesome intentions? To What's the beings. to all being benefiting all beings? Maybe. Improvement, growth, insight, mm. embetterment. Embetterment, maybe, yeah. Seeds planted without a, a hidden agenda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seeds planted without a hidden agenda. In particular, what agenda are we talking about? Personal. <laughs> <laughs> our, our ego agenda, our self, uh, self-aggrandizing, which self-aggrandizing or the opposite, right? Either self-aggrandizing or self-deprecating. Mm -hmm. It's still about the self. So either one of those is going to not bear the fruit that we really want to eat, right? So what bears fruit that is uh, fruit that we want to um, ingest, share, you know, give to others? An honest intention of benefit. An honest intention of benefit. 
Yeah, so you know the pure precepts, the three pure precepts? What's the first one? Translated in many different ways. Rev Anderson translates the first one as uh, observing forms and ceremonies. Another way of translating it is ending evil. Embrace and sustain wholesome action. Embrace and sustain wholesome action. The second one? Do all good. Live, like, do, do good. So avoid evil or follow forms and ceremonies. There, there is a way in which that makes sense. But that's not the topic of this uh, discussion. So... Avoid evil. Refrain from evil. Just refrain from evil. And then cultivate all good. And then the third. Cultivate the mind for the benefit of all beings. Cultivate the mind for the benefit of all beings. Live for the benefit of all beings. These being the foundational pure precepts that all of the other do's and don'ts come from. They come from that ground. So in terms of talking about these sleeves, these sleeves, these seeds, uh, this past practice period, we, uh, we talked about mind and the transformations of consciousness. And one way to talk about this is the talking about, in the Yogacara tradition, the alaya consciousness, which is the uh, storehouse of all our actions of body, speech, and mind. So all actions, not even the ones, the ones that you don't do, but the ones you think, even. Right? The storehouse, where all of those are kept from beginningless time. And those seeds are planted, and then something happens, the seeds get watered, and they bear fruit. If we plant wholesome seeds, and they get watered by wholesome intentions, wholesome fruits. Unwholesome seeds get planted, we plant them all the time. We may end up watering them with some uh, of our dispositions of greed, hate, and delusion, and they produce unwholesome fruit. This is basically the law of karma, right? The law, it's a law of karma. It's not like a law that you, you can break or follow, or it's just, it's like a law of gravity in a sense. In Buddhism, the law of karma is baseline, except for certain sects. But karma, if you can think of karma and the, this uh, storehouse consciousness as kind of like the, the ground or the sum total of all of our actions, it also has a way of habituating how we then see the next moment. So what seeds we plant now bear fruit and change our perception. Right? Who here thinks that we come into this world and just have free and clear seeing? Maybe when you first come in. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You've spent time with little babies. But like when you first come in. When you first come in. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know, you absorb quite a bit when you're still yeah. the Even before then. Yeah. Even before then, what do you inherit? You inherit DNA. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 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 
So these kleshas, these three poisons, are kind of like what gives those seeds the momentum, whether they're these three poisons or they're, uh, they're opposites. Non-harm, non-hatred, non-greed, non-delusion. You can go even further. What's even further than just saying the absence of these? Sometimes we use these as antidotes. We talk about them as antidotes. Right? So what's the antidote of greed? Generosity. Generosity, right? Giving, not grasping, but letting go, offering, open hands as opposed to you know, our clenchy, graspy hands. Okay. And anger? What's an antidote to anger? Patience, loving kindness. Love, loving kindness, patience. Yes, Shanti Deva talks about patience as the number one antidote mm-hmm. to anger. Mm-hmm. Right, so you think back to like, <laughs> you know, counting to ten. Right, it's like that's a cult of, that's a very miniature cultivation of. It's an inside jokes over here. <laughs> um, cultivation of of, uh, of patience as a deterrent to or a way of um, meeting anger, a way of working with anger, right? And actually, how can you develop patience without having moments of anger? Right? And what about delusion? What's the opposite of delusion? Wisdom. Wisdom. Prajna. Right. The wisdom, when we, this morning, when we chanted the hymn to the perfection of wisdom, that was the first chant that we did. We did this every Saturday. The perfection of wisdom sees the own being of all dharmas. All dharmas means everything. Everything that is can be experienced or seen or uh, viewed, touched, anything that can be met, all dharmas, all things arising. Right? Perfection of wisdom sees the own being of those dharmas. And what is the own being from the wisdom, from the point of view of wisdom? Emptiness. It is that nothing is, sep- has, is a separate self. Everything is completely interdependent. So it's a, the things of the world are not things that are in isolation. They look like they're in isolation, or they look like they can, they're separable, just like the waterfall that Suzuki talks about, coming over Yosemite, the, the falls at Yosemite, and all the little droplets of water, all thinking that they're separate, but they're actually one big stream. Now, when we have these, our karma, the sum total of all our past behaviors and actions, kind of meets with one of these kleshas, it gets, like I said, it gets watered, these seeds get watered, and they get re-sown. And when we do this, we, these, you know, when we react into one of our kind of like, maybe even canned responses, right? We know this when we, you know, when we see something and it, we have an immediate reaction of like, dislike, or you know, confusion, right? If that comes up, so thing that happens and then response that's like like, dislike, or confusion. What's happening? What happens before that arises? Or or can happen alongside these uh, afflictions that can arise 
if they're not grabbed, if they're not grasped. Judgments? Judgments. Before judgments. Space. 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 Right. What do we do when we sit in meditation? We notice the spaces. Right? That's what we're doing when we sit in meditation, is we're noticing space. Normally, we don't necessarily notice space. We're like, go, 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 go. And the reaction, reactivity can go higher, get higher. How many of you have the experience when you give in to your reactivity, and then you find that it's easier to give in to the next reactive moment? Oh, yes, yeah? I, I yeah, yeah, I know, and I notice it when I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, where I notice it uh, most uh, frequently. But yes, we can give into it, and then it's like the next thing happens, and we're primed, right? If we notice the space, what ha- what can arise in that space besides the overwhelming feeling of greed, hate, and delusion? We can disidentify with that anger. We can disidentify with the anger, or we can notice that we have an identification. Right. Yeah. yeah. First, we notice it. That may be a fruit that will come. Yeah. Do we do equanimity? It's kind of hard. It's hard to do equanimity, but yes, it's a fr- it's a fruiting. Um, this morning, driving to. to uh, center, uh, I, one lane was closed going over the bridge coming from the south and uh, I found myself that building growing moment and then just disengaged. It's almost resignation in a way. Oh. That there, I can't change this. I have to accept this. Uh-huh. So acceptance? Yeah, so I didn't... This is what it is, right? Now you, in your example, it sounds like you accepted this is what it is mm-hmm. and it alleviated some of the anxiety. Right. Yeah? Yeah, because, you know, you want to be on time, and people are jumping in and cutting in. And yeah, you that. can sit there and be like, ah! <laughs> it's, easy. it's very easy to do that. Especially when yeah. you're concerned about being late to something yeah. important. Yes, exactly. I have many stories of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> i got to get to that meditation. Ah, get out of my way! I'm going to meditate! <laughs> The irony was definitely palpable. So this reactivity, this falling into greed and hate and delusion less less so, but when we fall into these reactions, that pretty much ensures that we don't have that space, that we don't have that moment of openness to what is this, where uh, maybe there's a, well, this is how it is, happens, a moment of acceptance, right? But these poisons work in concert with our karma. And we all have different ways of, you know, sometimes, you know, you, I don't know if you've heard people say things like, oh, yeah, I'm a greed type. Like being, having a predominant type of the three types. We have all three. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a greed type, or I'm an anger type, or I'm a hate type, and I'm a delusion type. And, you know, that's kind of interesting to think about like what's the primary what's the your go-to without even realizing it like you go to it and it's like suddenly you're like oh wow I've got anger in my hand how'd that get here right or something like that right 
And there's different ways, uh, different antidotes throughout Buddhism that talk about how to work with these. Right? Now, what are the thing, one of the things that's very beneficial about all three, actually mostly greed and anger, is the suffering, actually. Right? They do cause us suffering. You know, ever be in a situation where you're angry at somebody and it just ends up hurting you, right? You have to pick up, as the, the, the uh, metaphor is picking up a hot coal to throw at somebody else, and it's like you've already burned your own hand. Right? And Shantideva is a great resource for studying these uh, three poisons. So before we can start to actually work with them, we need to see them. We have to believe in karma, the law of karma. What happens if you don't believe in the law of karma? It still happens. <laughs> it still happens. Delusion. delusion, yeah, yeah, delusion. And you can do a lot of harm along the way. Uh, Rev Anderson uh, talks a lot about this, what he refers to as deep faith in cause and effect. We need this deep faith in cause and effect. Like knowing that, oh, if I do, if I act on this uh, poison, greed, hatred, it's going to cause suffering. Ultimately, you know, but, but for all beings, right? For the whole shebang. But maybe for when we're starting out, it's like, actually, it's going to cause suffering to me, right? Because we are uh, human beings, and we do start with this one right here. So, you know, the Buddha, before working with the, with the kleshas, he talked about these three pure precepts. Do no evil cultivate good, live for the benefit of all beings, before even working with the kleshas, with these, uh, these three poisons and more uh, hindrances, what else can we do to work with them? Or maybe let me ask that another way. What can we do to, um, what do we do with them that doesn't, so, doesn't work out so well? It might be we do it because we want to. We want to meet it. We want to, you know, work with our afflictive emotions. But we do this thing, and it's actually not work. Doesn't work. Pretend they don't exist. Pretending they don't exist. That's definitely a big one. Oh, repression. Yes, repression. Yes. Rumination. <laughs> what was it? Rumination. Rumination. Or. Yeah, say more about rumination. Like just being like, this exists, and I'm just going to sit here and think about it and focus on it. And yes, like, yes. What you focus on is what you get. So exactly, yeah. right. You can, you can uh, identify with it and um, actually make it worse, right? What else? Sublimation. Mm -hmm. We may not know we're doing that, but yes. Sublimating. Sometimes just like you know, like there's this pressure here, and I'm just gonna give in this once. It's hard sometimes. What I don't know, like what yeah. we deal with. Like I have all of this 
desire, but I'm just going to buy this one little thing, or I'm just going to shout in the car. It's not hurting anyone. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the one I'm really familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> I say this a lot because I know people have probably seen me driving around Austin. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Having an Austin Zen Center on your a bumper sticker is a <laughs> I think of that. I yeah, think of that. I'm like, like, oh, crap. Wait a minute. What happens when you notice an affliction and it's like it's rearing its head and it's starting to, you start to notice its physical symptoms, right? What do we do? What is one of the most natural things to do with something like that that's actually not helpful? Condemn ourselves? Yes. Right? We brace against it. Mm. We feel like we need to get rid of it. We need to suppress. I mean, again, it's a repression. It's a suppression. It's a sublimation. But it's definitely an aversion to having an affliction Mm. happen in the first place. Right? It's another, it's a version upon a version. What can we do instead? Focus on your body. I mean, you can just kind of say, oh, it feels this here. And then, yeah, yeah, you can definitely focus on the body. Apply an antidote. Apply an antidote. What about metta? Metta. Right, loving kindness on the affliction itself, the feeling on for yourself. Right. What else? It's not really an antidote. An antidote is kind of another way of maybe trying to get rid of it. Mm. Spaciousness. Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Let's go a little further than acknowledgement. Acceptance. Little further than acceptance. Embodiment. Surrender? Surrender. Ooh. I'm not sure about the surrendering to the afflictive emotion. No. I would say acknowledgement without judgment. Acknowledgement without judgment, yes. Mm-hmm. Compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. Compassion. That can also sometimes be a, a way of, I think, applying loving kindness, applying compassion when you're in the midst of feeling, if it's rushing, if the emotion is rushing up, and you go quickly to that, that can be a way of uh, pushing away. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So before that happens. Yeah, I was going to say that a lot of these things to me sound more in-depth and cognitive. I just need to disrupt it in a sense. And so we, mm-hmm. we can were, be, when yes. you were talking about counting to 10, I think that's kind of what we do here <laughs> in a sense, right? We breathe and then sometimes we count the breath. And so if I'm noticing this afflictive emotion rising before I have any time or space to do the compassion and the loving kindness and acceptance and everything else, I just kind of have to come back to right here. Yes. Mm-hmm. And just like and when I say disrupt, I don't mean suppress, and I don't mean you mean allow the of. moment. I just mean like low, yeah. you know, like like just breathe, like oh danger, breathe. Like it has to be that simple. If yeah. it's if it's afflictive, you can't. There's there isn't time to analyze. I mean later there will be. Yeah, sometimes you can. Your whole prefrontal cortex has been taken over. I what, what I have to do is is find whatever remedy, for want of a better word, that I'm going to apply to be as simple and instant as the affliction that's rising. You know, like, like you mentioned, anger can come up very quickly. So I think that I just need to, first step is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like, whoa. Right. Okay. Stopping. Yeah. Right? Just stopping. Yeah. 
for a moment. Not not in an aversive way, right. but just like, resetting. I love Blanche Hartman's uh, description of you know zazen. She's like, sometimes you know you just need to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> so simple, right? So simple. Sometimes you just need to sit down, stopping, right? What about going a little further even than that? You can sometimes feel, especially with anger in, in your body, when it gets your heat, yeah. and sort of, and shortness of breath, just right in here. So feel your body. Feeling your, feel, your body? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about welcoming? Mm -hmm. What about welcoming your experience? Simply. Just simply as this is an experience that I'm experiencing. And turning towards it, again, the curiosity. Now, this can be tricky, right, this welcoming. You're not welcoming the emotion in the sense of like all the things, the concomitant things that can come up with it, right? Like acting. Normally, any time that we have an afflictive emotion, or yeah, any time we have an afflictive emotion and we want to jump into doing something right away, why do we do that? Because we're trying to get rid of it. We're trying to push past it. So rather than pushing past and you know, getting it off the stage, welcoming it, for what purpose? What, what you resist persists. What you resist persists, right? So when you welcome it, what do you do when you welcome it? Aha! Here's an opportunity for me to practice. Now, you know, we all know what opportunities, opportunities. <laughs> so like, oh, I don't need any more opportunities. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? What's one way to be able to welcome it? Alfonso. Well, it made me think a lot about the concept in Tibet about karma and like why it's such a good thing that arises, especially negative things. Um, it's not because, oh, necessarily here's an opportunity, but more like, yes, may it all come now in this lifetime. Mm. Yes. It will come at some point. So. Right. Let's burn through our seeds, yeah, our karmic seeds, <laughs> quickly. So there could be a welcoming, it could be in the sense of, um, Bring it on, you know, like a bodhisattva warrior, Shanti Deva's imagery of the bodhisattva warrior. He's like, if, you know, if not now, then when? If not me, then who? Right? It's very inspiring language to talk about being able to uh, meet our hindrances in a way that we can dance with them, right? And that they will teach us their opposites, right? It is an opportunity for, for hatred to teach us about love. Now, how does this work in the, you know, in the, in the world, right? So let's talk a little bit about just extending these. When we talk about, uh, I think I started this talk about, you know, mentioning the world and the world seems aflame, right? The amount of greed, hate, and delusion that I, this individual, see in other people <laughs> is huge. And I often it's very easy to focus on the external and not look inside, right? Now, just looking inside can sound very passive and like we're not going to take up 
the activism that may be needed, that may be uh, an antidote to what's happening in our world. But if we take up an activism that comes from the very greed, hate, and delusion that we see, what, what happens? People ignore it? We just make more of it. Oh, we make more of it. Yeah. And people ignore us. Right? If I'm coming from a place of greed, hate, and delusion, unless somebody wants to join with me in my greed, hate, and delusion and be deliciously greedy, hateful, and deluded, um, then it's, it's going to be uh, ignored. Right? So how do we, as practitioners... How do we come into our non-greed, non-hate, and non-delusion when faced with what we see as greed, hate, and delusion? What does it look like to ask love for love? Where does love come in? It's not about loving the delusion, nor necessarily loving the person who shows delusion. But it could be another form of love. Right? So if you're concerned, deeply concerned with the violence that's happening in the world to the planet, to human beings, what happens, you know, that can be an incitement to, to act, right? But if the, feel, if the motivating factor is hatred or anger or greed, it's going to be messy, right? It's not... This is the law of karma. If you're coming from these three poisons, you're going to make a mess. It, you're going to feel that mess. So, where does love come in? How about love for the suffering beings? Love for this earth? Right? To have that be the motivating factor how do we use our greed, hate, and delusion when we see it in ourselves and in others? How do we use that, use it as a transformation to generosity, love, and wisdom? That's a big koan. Right? This, is our, this is our fundamental practice. When we sit in a non-dual awareness, things come up, right? Afflictions arise, fantasies, you know, daydreams, all these things. When we sit, what are we doing? We're cultivating a capacity to be with. More than anything, we're cultivating this capacity of openness, of spaciousness, to be with whatever arises. In a, um, in a place like the Austin Zen Center or any practice community, Right? Without these afflictions, we wouldn't necessarily grow or learn from them. Now, being in a practice community means that there's going to be things that, you know, we're going to bump up against one another, hopefully. That's, that's like the point of being in a community. It's not just for re refuge and for nourishment, that's there. But also, uh, like, especially in, I think, in Zen practice, where there's a lot of. Uh, moving as one body, doing things together as a community. Um, Blanche used to talk about the uh, what Suzuki Roshi's son, Hoitsu Roshi, called potato practice. You, do you know what potato practice is? 
How do you clean a potato from the ground? When you've got a potato and it's all dirty, how do you clean it? You scrub it? Yeah, you kind of, you know, put run it under water and you scrub it. Potato practice, easiest way to clean potatoes is to throw them all into a bucket together and, you know, mm. turn them around, you know, turn them around. Because then they, what? They bump up against each other and they get cleaned. Right. So mm. potato practice. Zen practice is potato practice. So we're all potatoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these hindrances, what are called hindrances, oftentimes, you know, there's, uh, there's antidotes. So we can do antidote practice. We can apply those remedies. Now, that may be something that we want to start with, just to be able to see them, to create some space, right? before we do the antidote practice. But the other way, this welcoming way, is to see them as our greatest teachers. Right? Without these hindrances, we have no way to strengthen our practice. If you're not gonna, like, if you're gonna be practicing gymnastics and you're on this balance beam, you're gonna wanna fall off balance to be able to find your balance. You can't find your balance unless you're falling off balance. These practi practicing with these afflictive emotions, we've already heard, strengthens your ability to uh, apply loving kindness and compassion. Right? You don't need to give loving kindness and compassion to beings that are not, you know, stuck in samsara suffering. When we see clearly and we see the suffering. Uh, both in ourselves and in others, afflicted by the same things, right? Greed, hate, and delusion. When there are people are, we see people afflicted by greed, hate, and delusion. We can. It might uh, generate the greed, hate, and delusion in ourselves, right? Or it can be an opportunity to see greed, hate, and delusion, and to feel to cultivate this compassionate feeling. We can see the suffering that's caused by greed, hate, and delusion, both in ourselves and in other people, and have that uh, ability to see the suffering as a way of strengthening our determination to come back to the present moment, right? That determination to, oh, I you know, we know better. We lose ourselves, so-called lose ourselves, right? But this can be an opportunity to cultivate our determination, our bodhicitta, our desire to wake up for the benefit of all beings. This is a way of actually purifying our hearts and minds, right, to keep coming back. And then last thing I want to say about this trajectory of working with these, meeting these hindrances, is that when we allow for the space to sit and feel them, and work with them in uh, um, in these aforementioned ways of you know generating compassion and loving kindness and determination. What comes out of it? What's the fruit of that? The fruit is faith, mm -hmm. trust, trust in practice, and confidence. Our confidence in our own. Um, not just, not our, not our practice necessarily, right? I mean, obviously there's the practice that's coming out of this body and mind, right? 
faith and confidence in the teachings, in the path of practice, in our community of practitioners, right? People sometimes come to Zen centers or to practice Buddhist centers and they think that everybody's like all chill and, you know, they've got their stuff figured out. And no. <laughs> it's a place where people come because they're suffering, right? It's like going to a hospital and being like, where, why are these sick people lying around here? Right? But it's a place where people go, hospitals are places where people who are sick go to get better. Uh, the Buddha is often uh, called the doctor, a doctor. Right? Having the right uh, antidote, having the right medicine. And then through practicing with, when, once we've, we are able to uh, not just fall into reactivity, we're able to give some space, we're able to see, then and we're able to uh, try to follow the three pure precepts then we start to be able to apply specific remedies. Right? We start to practice the precepts, the ten grave precepts. We, we open ourselves to the four noble truths and the eightfold path of practice, the path practices, and the six or nine perfections, ten, six or ten perfections. So, I hope that this talk was helpful for people. I hope that um, when the next time you feel these afflictions coming, that there's uh, even the, the seed has been planted to turn towards them for a tango, as opposed to just running away from them or being, or being swamped by them, right? There's a phrase like, don't let things turn you, but you turn the things. Mm -hmm. In the same way, this even if we're able to just slightly shift towards welcoming and relaxing with, right? when we feel that tension come, we know that's a, that's a red flag, that that tension that we're going, to, you know, we're in danger of being swamped. So how do we relax in that moment. Not relax so much that we don't care what comes out of our mouths. <laughs> That's not what I mean by relaxing. But relaxing with the feeling as it's emerging. And more and more that you, when we sit and we practice, right? It takes deep practice to sit and let things come and let things go and let things come and go and come and go over and over and over again. We do this in this very little neat black cushion you know, in a very safe space so that we can then go out and see how that practice can come in our workplace with our, you know, terrible boss or, you know, whatever it is, right? And hopefully with each other, right? Hopefully we continue to do this potato practice together and talk to Dave if you have uh, interest in jumping in to be a potato. <laughs> anyway, so that's my, that's my wish for all of us, for all of us here and all of us in this whole, this whole universe. May it be so. Thank you.